This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? You know what time it is. Uh, it is, well, it's a Monday for you, which means it's a Sunday night for me, Jonathan Macri, and my esteemed, beautiful, wonderful, um, intelligent, uh, oh, wait, no, I'm not, I'm not describing my wife. I'm describing my, my co-host, uh, Jeremy Cohen. You are, you're some of those things. I mean, you're smart, so. There's that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's the appropriate response. Um, so we have not talked in a little bit. It was a bit about two weeks, I think. Something like that. Yeah, something along those lines. Hmm. I'm sitting here. It's a Sunday night. I just poured myself a little leftover rosé, which I can now confirm is uh, a bit stale. But... It'll do the trick as we open this podcast with, um, well, I guess we should react to the news that, uh, well, it's not really news. It's, it's, a, it's, I mean, let's call it like it is. It's, um, it's something that might happen, which, um, we don't know if it's going to happen, but, um, I trust the people that tell me things sometimes. Um, and somebody that I trust told me that, uh, well, one, Leon Rose, it looks like, is going to be taking this job, uh, if not this week, then by the following week at the latest. So that'll become official, which, uh, woohoo, yay. Um, but also that there is a very good chance, um, the person I spoke with put it at 90%, that Tom Thibodeau, um, you know, might be the next coach of the Knicks. So, Jeremy, I'm going to, I'll start by throwing this one to you. Uh, what do you, what do you think of old, uh, old Tibsy there? I'm so mixed, man. I mean, I see all of the negatives, right? It feels like for a lot of the names that we've heard, it's mostly like, I don't want this guy, right? I don't want that guy. I feel like Tibbs is, I think it, I always get confused because I feel like it's actually Thibodeau, but then that feels too it weird is, to say because it, no, it feels like I have a lisp when I say it. No, it's Thibodeau, but he goes by Tibbs. With, right. I, there was, okay, oh, like, who was it? It was, uh, I want to say Nick Friedel. Uh, was on the low post or maybe it was the Woj pod like a year or two ago. It, had to, it was over a year ago and they had like a five minute conversation over whether the fact that it's Thibodeau uh, necessitates <laughs> you changing the pronunciation of Tibbs to, I guess it would be Thibs, but no, it's, it's indeed Tibbs. Good. Okay. So now that we've settled that. <laughs> Perfect. Knocked it out of the park. Um, I think that recent memory, um, is certainly playing a huge factor in this whole thing. 
The biggest thing in my mind with Minnesota where I think he screwed up the most was he never should have been in charge of making basketball decisions. He shouldn't have been, um, I get the head coaching position, but handling double duties, I feel like that never really works, uh, especially with Stan Van Gundy. We saw it didn't work in Detroit. I'm, I'm sure there are other situations that I'm blanking on at the moment, but I, w- I think that was my biggest concern. And I understand that his style is very much outdated. I think you could make an argument, sure, that if you have Mike Miller, if they're all about defense first and offense is maybe not on the forefront, then sure, like you could make an argument to keep Miller instead. Um, at the same time, I mean, look, I, I look at this coach who I understand it's a different league to some degree, but this we're talking about a guy who within the last 10 years took a team to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think that's something to scoff at per se. Um, I think also kind of saying that this team, there's, there's something I read where it was about how this is incredibly talented team, uh, the one that he had in Minnesota. And that's just really not true. He played with two players, uh, who are taken first, who were taken first overall and different drafts and their serious concerns, whether they're winning players or not. And he made a hail Mary for Jimmy Butler, which I mean, at the time seemed like a bad idea to me and it honestly panned out that way. Um, but I, like, I get it, right. There are a lot of things, a lot of reasons why you wouldn't necessarily want him. And I'm still not like all in on him, but I think I'm, I'm less uncomfortable with it than a lot of other people are. So, um, let me start here. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised by this at all. Um, I kind of had it. I've had a sense that this is where this is going for a little while now. Um, and I, and this is not because of what I was told. This is just my own personal opinion. I would be utterly shocked if, if Thibodeau was not the coach of the Knicks in um, whatever it is, two, two and a half, three months from now. There's a part of me that's really upset by this, but it's not the part that you think. Um, I can't help but um, escape the notion. And this and this really hit me because, you know, Ian Begley, uh, you want to talk about someone who actually – um, <laughs> knows a lot as opposed to me. Um, he he's so s- subtle when he does this. I had him on the pod a couple days ago, and I was talking to him about like the timing of the Mills, you know, firing and the Rose hire and the whole thing. And he didn't come out and say it because he would never do that. But he, you know, it, it wasn't hard to read between the lines where he's like, "Look, the fans chanted sell the team, and then Mills like literally." that before the following home game after that Mills was fired. Um, Optics are never far from the forefront of what this team does and why they do it. Now, sometimes that could work out for the best because if something looks good, sometimes it actually is good. Um, And we'll get to that part of this in a second, but I would not like, we've been hearing the same couple names, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, Leon Rose, or sorry, um, Tom Thibodeau, um, and Jay Wright too. And like, what do all these four of these guys have in common? They're, they're names. They're names that if you hire them, well, there are like, and this is the other part of this that's confusing. And I want you to chime in on this too. I, we forget sometimes that we live in the world of NBA Knicks Twitter, which represents like, what would you say? 20% of the fan base, 15% of the fan base. Um, yeah, it's gotta be not nearly as large as we, Probably think it is. Maybe. And there's an entire bastion of Facebook and Instagram accounts that it's just almost a cesspool. 
And that, I mean, I think Twitter's better than those, and that's saying something for a lot for I a mean, big reason. No, but it's like I, I mean, the, whatever. Put whatever the percentage is. I mean, a quarter, thirty percent, whatever. The point is, if the Knicks hired any of those guys, yes, even Mark Jackson, there would be way more people than not that'd be like, "Oh, great job, brought back an old Nick," you know, or in Tibbs' case, a guy who you know he's a name, he co- he's an assistant on the team, obviously when it was really good. So like, I I think that's a massive part of this. Um, and that part upsets me because it, it leads me to believe that, no, the things that really need to change, which is that literally not caring what anybody says. And I yelled at you two weeks ago. What, what did I say? I don't give a shit if they, um, if you renew your season tickets or not. Right. I think I said those words. You uh, did. It cut deep. It, I know it did. Are you, are you recovered yeah. yet? I've, I've, Put it behind me, and I think we can continue this working relationship. As okay. a result. Well, that's all that that's all that matters. Anyway, yeah. I, I, but again, I, I mean, I, I was being a little facetious, but in truth, no, I, I I want a front office that that doesn't care about what the fans think about what they do. I want a front office that operates in the in the best interest of the team, and obviously has the intelligence and wherewithal to back that up. Um, the thing I'll say about Tibbs is that I agree with you a hundred percent in that recency bias kind of colors and and it's the recency bias and you nailed it with the no one should ever have dual power in the league we've seen it happen and fail too many times even pop in san antonio has rc buford there to to help out and honestly you look at some of the the personnel decisions the spurs have made in recent years as pop has arguably accumulated more power and um I, i think you can make an argument that it hasn't even worked out so well there so like, yeah, that was never going to work with Tibbs in Minnesota. And yet you could even argue that the Butler, tri- like, was, I, I don't want to go down too far this rabbit hole, but like, if Cat and Wiggins, as we're learning more and more, were maybe more the players that we, that some people hope they would be instead of the players that they seemingly are. And I, look, I've sung Cat's praises on this podcast many times, but I mean, it's tough to ignore what he isn't as an NBA player. So this is all to say Tibbs could coach. I don't think there's any argument that Tibbs could coach. But what, like, what is he going to do here? What is he going to change here if it is indeed his job um, and he gets a chance? And I guess that's the part that we really can't know because at this point, like, what is what is Tibbs known for? I mean, he's known for his defense. But, do, like, what when you think of Tibbs – as an NBA coach, presumably in like 2020, 2021, what, what are you going to think of first and foremost? I think it's probably going to be a feeling of out being outdated. Um, okay. Certainly in terms of, but again, it's like, is that a reflection of his personnel that he brought or his coaching or is it both? I'm sure it's a little bit of both, but that's why I'm kind of hoping that if you can get a front office and again, we don't even know who the GM of this team is going to be. We don't know what Leon Rose is capable of, Yeah, but you look at the fact that he was really bad as uh, in a front office capacity, and he also played for Garpax, which is probably the worst front office that's still in existence right now. I mean, of the thirty teams, you could make a case that they are and, patently the worst. And yet, and yet, I just really quickly, they did seem to assemble, if not the perfect team of players for Tibbs, pretty damn close. Right. Yeah, so. And you also have to wonder, yes, did push did Tibbs push a lot of those players to the brink? Of course, absolutely. He he ran them ragged. 
the biggest thing to me is uh, I know a lot of people kind of think, oh, well, he wore down Derrick Rose. But I, I find myself disagreeing with that philosophy because the big thing, if you go, go back to that season where Rose got hurt, uh, it was the strike shortened season. Everything was connected. It was one injury that led to another injury that led to another injury. And then, yeah. boom, everything compounded and his knee just went bust. And from there, the team was never really the same. I mean, they had moments now and then, and they were still incredible defensively. But it's like if, if you can at least get a front office to build the personnel that is a more adapted or adaptable version of that in 2020, 2021 and moving forward – is it really that big of an issue? So that's why I'm kind of confused because, yeah, you could you could then keep Miller on. And, and mind you, I do really like Mike Miller. But at the same time, it's very hard for me because it's such a weird season to say like, oh, well, he he should definitely be back as the head coach. And I know no one's yeah. necessarily saying that either. No, but- I know he, he should be under consideration. I understand the, the whole thing, what happened with the controversy with Steve Stout. The bottom line is that I think if you can at least add other pieces to make, you know, like if you added shooting, I don't think that he's going to not play to those strengths. You know what I mean? So here's my thing. And I, I wrote something to this effect at the end of last week, and I'm going to double down on it now. And I'm going to keep going with it um, for as long as anyone is willing to listen to me. Um, by the way, uh, 2017, 2018, Minnesota Timberwolves, they finished 47 and 35. They had Butler for that whole year. Um, they were fourth in the league in offensive rating behind only the Rockets, the Raptors, the, and the Warriors. Um, where they struggled was on defense, and again, um, you know that was a defense that featured Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. So you know, make of that what you will. Um, what? Yeah, ultimately, I, whether they bring in Tom Thibodeau, Mike Miller, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, fucking you, me, whoever, to coach this team. I think they need to make an effort and more than just an effort. They need to like, like go all in on the move and build a team that the coach you're bringing in can actually win with. Because the thing with Fizz is Fizz was, and we've talked about this. Fizz was brought in to coach stars. They thought, Bringing him was going to help get stars. It didn't. He never got to coach his stars. He never was supposed. He never should have been the coach of of a team that was up and coming with in terms of development. So that was why a year and a, almost a year and a half it felt like went down the tubes. Like if you're going to bring in t- like fine, bring in fucking Tibbs. I don't really care. But then don't give Tibbs. And I, I don't. I don't mean to call out specific guys, but like I don't know who else to say. But like don't give Tibbs Dennis Smith Jr. And tell Tibbs, like, okay, you got to play this guy 20 minutes a night. Like, no. Like, like that's, like, bring in guy, like, Taj Gibson, okay? I'm not saying that Taj, Taj is the be-all, end-all, but I'm going to go back to something I quoted from Taj a few weeks ago, which is when he was, when Ian Bagley was asking him in the locker room after a game about Tibbs. Taj was unequivocal. If you bring in guys that want to be coached and that are willing to be coached, Tibbs is the best coach you'll ever have. And, like, just... So do that. And like, I don't know how many of those guys are on this team currently. And obviously you don't have to bring in all guys like that, but you have to bring in enough of them such that, you know, you could, you could make it work. And it's like, everybody's kind of steering in, in the same direction. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. And in terms of like the player minute stuff, and this is the last thing I'll say on this is like, 
again, revamp, I don't know, their analytics department, their sports science department. Like, bring in people that can have the wherewithal to talk to Tibbs and be like, hey, you can't play this kid 36, 37, 38 minutes a night. You have to cap it at whatever the time is that is agreed upon. Um, but again, that's going to come down to how much power does Leon Rose have? How much sway does Leon Rose have with Tibbs or whoever they end up hiring? You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I fall on it. And um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. Any other thoughts yeah. on Tibbs? Um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking, for example, at the the Bulls year by year, just because it's honestly been a while since I've looked at what he's done. Um, it's really incredible how just how far we've come in terms of pace. You know, I mean, just, oh god, yeah. And, I, and we talked about just like the, the disparity between now and and then, but it's like, man, I'm looking at the years like what 2011 2012 2013 yeah they were 89 90 in pace that's <laughs> it's staggeringly slow oh my god um even even the year that i quoted uh 2017 18 which is three seasons ago fourth best offense in the league a pace of 96.75 which was t- ranked 23rd so you know it, i you can do it still um but I, yeah i don't know no yeah. It, it, it'll be fascinating. We'll, I mean, we'll obviously learn more. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, um, we'll wait to see what actually happens. All right. Um, before we actually get to talking about the guys that are, that are on this team, uh, right now, a quick word from our friends, our very good friends at forecashsports.com. Um, forecashsports.com, you've heard me talk about it now for a few weeks now. It is your one stop shop for basically every kind of betting insight that you could, you could possibly need. Their specialty is DFS betting insight. So if you're a big DFS player, daily fantasy sports, um, you're going to go to this site. They basically compile all of the information from all of the other different sites and they process it and they kind of give you something that's better than your usual DFS advice site, which, you know, all those sites do is they basically spit out optimizers and projections and like that's the holy grail. That's not what Forecast Sports does. It takes all that, it processes it, and it kind of gives you a menu of the very best options to put into your DFS lineups for that particular day. It's it's no one else is doing it, and they're doing it at a cost that um, really makes sense. Because of course, if you're a listener to this, you get a couple of benefits. One, you get a free trial. Um, just enter the code one day. That's the number one D A Y. Um, and you could try it out for a free for a day. And if you like what you uh, would like, what you find, then you're going to enter the code Nix, and you'll get twenty five dollars off of each month for the life of your subscription. So it's usually eighty nine ninety nine. I think this drops it down to like sixty five bucks, um, which is great. One more time, uh, the website is f o r e cash sports dot com. And did I miss anything? Oh yeah, the the best part. Um, they have their um, free pool every day, which a thousand dollars goes up for grabs. All you have to do is answer questions about the biggest game of the day, and you're eligible to win a thousand dollars. It's really the best one shots, one stop shop on the internet for everything you could possibly need. If you do the free trial, no credit card required. Um, so last time for f o r e cash sports dot com. All right, Jeremy Cohen. Um, I said to you tonight that. Um, I wanted to talk about the team that is actually on the floor 
because they do play 26 more games this year, which I know you're excited about. How excited are you for the rest of this next season, Jeremy? It really depends on on who we see and how long we see them out there for. Well, someone's been going to transition school. Um, Listen, they don't pay you the big bucks for nothing. Um, There's been a lot of complaints of late uh, amongst the Knicks fan base that uh, we're not seeing who we want to see on the floor and maybe not in the combinations that we want to see. So we thought it would be, you know, a, a good idea to talk about, well, like, okay, what changes should they be making? Because like Berman had his tweet yesterday about like, they need to tank. They need to play all the kids. I don't think it's as simple as that. And I don't necessarily want to see all these kids play huge minutes every single night. In that, from that general, like, yes, you want to see all the kids play a bunch of minutes and don't see any of the vets or most of the vets or something else. Where do you fall in those of those two camps? So first of all, I want to thank all the people who gave their uh, opinions in terms of what they'd love to see going forward. It's really awesome to read through and and get a sense as to where people's thoughts are kind of at. The one thing I saw most commonly was a starting five or at least a, a rotation, a lineup of five that featured exclusively young players all under the age of 22. And I'm here to say that that It's a very uncommon thing, and I think it's also not in the best interest for those young players. I've always gotten the sense that you should really have at least one veteran in that in that grouping, um, just because you want someone who knows what the hell they're doing, right? Like (laughs) maybe it's a maybe it's a lead ball handler, um, and we certainly have chat on Alfred Payton at times. I'm sure everyone has. Um, but the point being is like you at least have a guy who has been in the league enough to know how he can set up for other young guys. Or maybe you do something differently where you have um, like at least that one veteran or what was it? Um, it's like a bunch of young players. Sure. Um, but you, you need to have someone who's there. And it, the point being, uh, if you look at, say, like the Warriors, right, they are the worst team in the league. The most common five man lineup that they've had features in terms of minutes played features Draymond Green. Um, He's also in the second one and he's in the third one and he's in the fourth one. If you go to the Cavs, um, the first one's got Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. Second one's got Tristan Thompson. Third has Kevin Love. The fourth has Clarkson, Nance, Hanson, you know, like guys who are actually able to play or who, who have experience. And then you look at a team like the Hawks, right? And you've got the number one lineup is Collins, Herder, Young, Reddish, and Hunter. And so you think like, okay, well, that's the exception, right? Why can't we be like that? Well, the reason uh, is, well, first of all, Trey Young was an all-star this year. The Knicks certainly did not <laughs> so, have that. That's a, that's a thing. Yes. Secondly, uh, all of those guys are actually shooting above, or at least four of those guys are shooting above 35% from three. So you don't have to worry about space as an issue. Can I chime in? Love those Knicks who um, I don't always agree with on Twitter, but is one of my favorite commenters because he's always like you could. He always justifies his thinking and it's always on point, even if I may not agree with it. He said there are very few sensible rotations among our younger players because none of them can shoot. Virtually every combination creates spacing issues, which leads me to thinking about, well, what's the combination of young players that has actually worked together? It's the backup unit with. Four young guys, right? Frank, 
Knox, Mitch, and Dotson. And then who's the fifth guy? Everybody's favorite, Bobby Portis. What's the one I knew thing you're gonna say? No, what's <laughs> but what's the one thing Bobby Portis could do? Yes, he could monopolize possessions and take terrible shot after terrible shot, and also like roll out the red carpet when he's on the other end. But if you just have him stand out there and stretch the floor, like all of a sudden those units become really interesting. And obviously the numbers, the numbers back that up. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. Well, we even saw it against the Pacers, right? That, uh, I want to say the final few minutes or so was what Frank, RJ Dotson, Randall and Portis, right? Yeah. So it was, it was basically Randall in place of, uh, Knox. Yeah. Right. And Knox had been in the game and I mean, TJ Warren just fried him. Well, um, so many different possessions. He refried him. He had originally been fried by Doug McDermott, and then uh, a, an already cooked Kevin Knox was then handed over to <laughs> to Chef Chef Warren, who then you know double double that. Anyway, exactly. So yeah, you want a situation where you have players around you who can actually help the young guys be better. So me seeing these young lineups, it's like, well, that's great in theory, but also we have to look realistically. And another realistic component is why would Mike Miller bench a guy like Julius Randle? He's 24 years old. He's under contract next year. He's even <sighs> under contract the year after. I don't see a reason why they would transition to a point where in crunch time, he's like, yeah, you know, um, let's just let's just have all our young guys there. I think there's got to be a little bit more to it. And well, it has to feel a little bit more balanced, uh, as balanced as you can make it, really. We also, like, let's, like, can we all agree to to talk about things in the world that we actually exist in as opposed to the to the world that we want to exist in? Like, yeah, there's some things that might happen. You like pe- everybody's suggesting that like Frank Mitch and um like okay, Shannon Ferguson, right? Um, who another great, great Twitter follow, suggested Knox, RJ, Mitch, Frank, and Randall. Like that's a that's a starting lineup. Like you might actually see that starting lineup for the last whatever 15 or so games of this year and you know does it make sense mm, eh, not not really not with not with the best shooter in that group being <laughs> crazily enough Kevin Knox um who has not uh, not exactly lit it up from outside this year so no um you know that doesn't make sense but at least that's something that we could see like saying like oh yeah we got to bench Randall like I trust me I'm writing a whole thing for tomorrow's newsletter or for Monday's newsletter about how Randall and like a lot of the young guys on this team, like just they don't mesh. Um, but let's be realistic. So I guess from that perspective, does the like, does it matter who starts as much as like the combinations that we want to see together? Like, for instance, my the thing that I really want to see, I want to see Frank at the one, RJ at the three, a shooter at the two, and then. I, I honestly, I don't really care who else, who, who's at the four and the five. Ideally, you have a shooter at the four, whether it's Portis or, or Knox or whoever. But like, I want to see that because to me, over the last 26 games of the season, I want a situation, I want a, situations, plural, hopefully, that I could take with me, not only next year, but for years and years beyond that. And I feel like RJ at the three, surrounded by a decent amount of shooting, like that's something that's going to help me feel better about this team moving forward. You know? Yeah. I mean, I would say block at the two would be ideal. You could have Wayne Ellington there if you wanted. Um, I just, I mean, block is a, is a much better defender. 
So it's the sort of thing where you're at least balancing out a bit more. True. Um, in terms of the four or five, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I know there's a lot of love for Mitch and I know that he and Randall, their two man game has certainly uh, improved since the point where with Fisdale, I know a little better. I want to say January, like it, it kept climbing. I, and admittedly, I, I can't remember what their what it looks like in the last month or so. Um, I mean, you know, the thing with Portis, it's like, uh, I, I went to the wizards game and I was with my friends and we played a game where it was, let's count how many times Bobby Portis passes the ball. <laughs> and why would you stopped. do that to yourself well here's the thing we stopped after like six possessions because it was just zero <laughs> and, and you know like it, it happens over and over again and it, so it's like yeah it's it's frustrating for sure but and yeah he's not even a part of the future but at least maybe his presence there can bring out more in the young guys who are on the floor with him so and, and i don't i don't think that's a winning lineup i mean we saw it be competitive with team last or with you know, Friday night with the Pacers, but it was still a loss. I I certainly didn't think that they really had a chance. But but he was part of that great run in the late third um, and into the right. fourth quarter because he wasn't monopolizing possessions with terrible shots, you know, down on the block or like whatever else. And it's like, and again, that gets into other issues. Like, why does a guy like Bobby Portis, who is essentially on an expiring contract, with 26 fucking sorry 26 fucking games um to go in this season feel like or 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 not feel like why is he being given the the freedom to operate as he was in the first half when it's it it, it was like he had money on the pacers like that's not like that's just not okay and like how do you this gets to oh, again a larger issue how do we sit here and make these judgments about who should be playing with one another when there's like one version of Bobby Portis that does exactly what he's supposed to do. Like we saw in the second half and a version in the first half where it's like, I never want to see that guy play another minute for my team as long as I live. Yeah. It's, it's insufferable. Um, <laughs> it's also a lot of people were, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people were, were also hoping to see uh, Iggy and Wooten. I, I don't, see them leaving the G League until the season ends. The G League season ends, that is. Um and honestly, I don't I don't really see why they need to be called up. It's not a matter of not deserving it. I just would rather see them get like 30 minutes a game in the G League than here, which is funny because we had the same discussion about what? Like Knox or Dennis Smith Jr. a few weeks ago. Yeah. Where it was like what are they going to get down there that they wouldn't get up here? But the difference is it's like well, if you're not buying guys out and if you're still going to play them, then it makes no sense to bring them up to the NBA level and have them just sit there when they could at least be getting more playing time there. So it, it feels a little uh, – maybe not hypocritical but slightly more oxymoronic. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just like, OK, well, if they're not really going to be prioritized, then I'd rather they be prioritized elsewhere. Whereas like you're seeing Knox and Dennis Virginia are being prioritized in the sense that they are getting like – 15 minutes a game, maybe 20 minutes a game. Um, so it's, it's kind of just like, at least if they're going to get minutes there, if you're only going to bring in Wooten and Iggy for garbage time, leave them in the G league. There's no reason to call them up. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, last 10 games, maybe um, when, when maybe a guy like, if you're going to tell me a guy like Randall's going to shut it down for the last 10 games of the year, which he absolutely, I, I mean, that's again, that's what I would like to happen. Will it, we'll see. 
then yeah, sure, bring those guys up and let's see them. Um, you know, and I guess that's really what this this all comes down to is like clearly, 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 Julius Randle likes to be out there with certain guys, right? Like he 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 likes being out there with Bobby Portis. He seems to like being out there with Alfred Payton. Um, he seems to like being out there with you know not Frank Nilakina, um, for whatever reason. Um, I, it's like yeah, you have to give me combinations that that work. A lot of people mention Knox at the four. That should be obvious at this point. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. is the other one, man. I I don't. And maybe this is a good way to transition into our our last segment where we're going to talk about things that we want to see from the young players over the rest of, of this year. Um, I, and I want to start with Dennis Smith Jr. I, I like. Should he be should he play anymore? Like we've seen what one out of every five games from him has been good. Or, or or part of the game has been good. Like he was okay in the first half against the Pacers. Um, and then he went out there in the second half and stunk up the joint like he has so many times this year. Like if you don't play him anymore this year, then that's it. But you're like you gotta trade him for whatever, you know, whatever you could get this summer. Are are we ready to like basically say, all right, we're giving up on this asset or do you or maybe I shouldn't even say that. Do you think that there's a chance like with a new president, maybe a new coach coming in? But again, if that coach is Tibbs, like do we really think Tibbs is the guy that's going to like is the man for Dennis Petunia? Like what do you do with DSJ from here on in? What do you want to see from DSJ from here on in? I really want to just see him embrace the role he has. You know, and you talked about this with Sean where it was the belief that he thought he was going to have the starting role and he was really crestfallen as a result and his play kind of went that way. I just... I really want to see him shine wherever he is. And if that's the case, it's starting with where you're at and working up from there. So there's really not a lot he has to do. Like you said, the first half, he was great of the Pacers game. Second half, certainly not the case. Um, But like just just little things that he did at a decent level last year or a good level last year that he can try to build upon. Uh, For example, he was uh, shooting 58.4%. around the rim last year. Okay. And this year he's down to 52.5. Oh my God. Um, right. So it's like, okay, well, if you're crafty around the rim, if your whole thing is about is about driving and and succeeding off the dribble, then work on finishing, doing what you can. Um, and, and that also comes with better on drives because last year, 47.5%. This year, 35.4. I mean, that's, a, that's an astonishingly, astonishingly deep drop. So if you can just clean up in that area and then look to facilitate with your teammates, uh, I mean, certainly not turning the ball over. Uh, I know specifically in that Wizards game, it was just horrendous how he was playing with, what did he have, like in four minutes, he had something like four turnovers or something? Four turnovers in four minutes or six minutes, maybe. I mean, but but again, that's not not an anomaly this year, which is, you know, it's not, anyway, yeah. But my, my view with him, yes, I think he, I think he's gone no matter what after this year. Um, it's really just a matter of can his stock get any lower, and I don't, I really don't think it can, uh, unless of course he's injured. But he, his game has gone down so much that I, I really oh, I don't. Think this is as low as it could go. 
I, I, right. I, so I if, it, if this is at, as low as it can go, play them. Especially if you're in the mood for ping pong balls and <laughs> Miller may not say as much, but things change. Well, like it's very possible Leon Rose takes over in a couple weeks as you wrote and all of a sudden the entire organization is like, no, no, no we're, we're more forward thinking and we're really focused on, on getting that guy in the draft or better yet, not falling so far that we missed out on any of the guys that we really like. You know what then? Here's my suggestion. And again, prob- probably not going to happen, but for the last 15 games, maybe it could um, shut Alfred Payton down, put Dennis Smith Jr. into the starting lineup. Dennis Smith Jr. and Julius Randle are far more of two peas in a pod than Frank and Julius, who just are like oil and water. And let give Dennis what he wants. Give Dennis a starting job at the very least. Well, one of two things is going to happen. He's going to absolutely shit the bed like he has for most of the year or giving him what he, I think we could all agree, wanted from day one, maybe reinvigorates him. And at the very least, you increase that trade value to the point where it's at least something above rock bottom. So, yeah, fine. Give Start Dennis Smith Jr. And then leave Frank on the bench with the the unit that he's been he's been succeeding with. And, uh, you know, see what happens from there. Why not? But what are but what are you conveying from that? You know what I mean? Like, well, a couple of things. It, it feels to me that you can basically be one of the worst point guards in the league. And you've now been given a starting role. Well, you know, like even we even saw this with Morris where he was reportedly uh, his fellow client. I mean, in the, in the sense of they're both uh, they both work for the same or they're both uh, they both have the same agent. And I was like, OK, we'll give him more opportunities. It's like, well. Are you really earning it if you're starting Dennis Smith Jr.? And to, you're certainly not. I know what you're saying in terms of to which I'd say bed. no, no. I, right. it's, a, it's a point that I myself have made in the past, and my response to you is that ship has sailed so many times already in the past with this team in terms of like accountability and guys supposedly doing the right things, like getting the opposite of rewarded for it. Like again, how do you? How can you look me in the eye and tell me that there are guys that should be playing? Forget about Frank above Damian Dotson. That he's not perfect, but that guy plays his ass off every time he steps on the floor. And yet we've seen him get more DMPs than any healthy player um, other than Alonzo Trier, who is like, please don't mention in the same sentence as Damian Dotson in terms of the effort that he puts forth when he, when he comes on the floor. So it's like, like what that damage has already been done, I guess is my point. So at this point, it's like, all right, you know what? You know, play the guys with the with the people that they are most well suited to play with, I guess. Um, and, and look, just because you start someone doesn't mean they have to get the lion's share of the minutes. But um, yeah, God's honest truth. That's probably what I do. Um, I doubt they'll do it, but um, you know. So that's what I'd like to see. Let's talk about RJ. Um, probably everybody, you know, I think. Zach Lowe mentioned him as an honorable mention for um, most intriguing players with Chris Herring on his pod the other day. I still need to listen to that. Um, I just want to see RJ with spacing. Um, That's all. Just give me RJ with some spacing, which is like, all right, so you don't have a point guard that could shoot on this team. Um, Although Frank has been showing some signs of late. Um, And I realize this is, the opposite of what I just said a moment ago with this Dennis Smith Jr. starting because obviously RJ is going to continue to start. But like, give me RJ with Frank, like you said, either Bullock or Ellington or Dotson, um, Knox or Portis at the four. And then I guess, you know, 
I guess Mitch at the five. Um, and let me, yeah, let me see what he could do with a, at least a couple of shooters around him. Because right now, I hate the fact that he's in this starting lineup with this lack of shooting. And it's it's just like, it's it's just not, it's not good. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, granted, I think that it would be less of an issue if RJ himself were a better shooter. Well, and yeah, my my point is uh, have RJ keep shooting threes. That's what you want to say? Okay. I don't yeah, mind that. And so the reason for that, it's really, uh, I went back and I looked. The Knicks are 6-12 and 12 when RJ takes two three-point attempts or fewer. They're 7-21 and 21 when he takes three threes or more. So, yes, I mean, does that fall in line with the whole tanking mentality? Sure, of course. But the, the real thing here that I want to see from him is just him becoming a better three-point shooter. Because if he's a bigger threat, then that certainly doesn't hurt. You know, I mean, we there was that, what was it, the one-on-two breakaway against Indy where uh, he was so crafty in terms of how he, in transition, stole the ball and took it to the hoop. And I believe he got the foul, right? Uh, Yes. If memory serves. Yeah, right. the, the so, end one, yeah, but he missed the free throw. Right, and it, it was really impressive. But the one thing that I really kind of felt while watching it was like, damn, he just does not have that burst to just get by them. It's great that he relies on on his skills to drive to the hoop and to be smart and have good handles. But it's like if he had that that burst, then it would erase so many other question marks. Uh, and I think this is one of those with, with shooting and spacing where, yeah, it's great if you add guys around him that – unlock his game so he doesn't have to be that three-point shooter but i mean you know it's really it's really nice if rj is an average three-point shooter and practice i believe makes perfect in this situation so you might as well have him keep shooting i'm fine with that um yeah I, i'm i'm cool with him taking more i think the shot needs needs work and i think it needs a summer totally. of reps and uh you know but yeah, um, I, I I will say this for RJ. His shot profile has been very good this season. Um, like basically the shot profile, how much it gets to the line, like all that stuff is what you want. It's just, um, you know, he's he not hitting them and he's he's operating in a in tight confines. Um, all right, let's, let's go to our boy, uh, Frank. I want to see Frank do, did, do what he did the other night. Which is um, he took um, he took ten shots or ten shots or 11, 11 12. I sh- should know this off the top of my head. Um, he took at least ten shots, which is not something that he does um, very much. And I would like to see him do more of because I think we saw, um, you know, it's it's not an accident that he canned um a few or two three-pointers in the um waning you know quarter of the game both of them were pretty big um because he actually put up a lot of shots during the game and i think a lot of people who believe in frank's shot long term have always said like yeah he just needs the opportunity to shoot it more so yeah he shot it 11 times which was the tied for the third most shot attempts he's had all goddamn season like that's I'm sorry, but that's not okay. Like he shot double digit field goal attempts five times this year. Like that's how, like you can't, I don't care who you are. You can't expect a player to get in any kind of a rhythm um, when that's all the looks they're getting. So that's what I want to see from Frank. Agreed. I was going to go with that one. I, I had a feeling you might go that path. So look at I you. Picked, I, I picked something a little different. 
Um, this is probably going to be more of a of a summer thing, okay. just in terms of development, because it'll it'll likely take more time. Um, I want to see Frank improve in the paint. So okay. he's fifty. He's shooting fifty eight point six percent at the rim this year, which is up ten percent from last year. Um, and then of course he's he's thirty one percent from three. What's really interesting though is if you um, if you basically well let me let me put it this way uh, he he took a step forward after taking a step back because last year he was shooting I want to say around twenty nine percent and then I think the his rookie year he was about thirty one point eight so he's about where he was if not a little bit below um, you you could do like the woulda coulda shoulda game as much as you want right if Frank hits five of the threes that he missed. He's a 35% shooter from three. Granted, if he misses five of the ones he hits or that he hit, he's 26.7 or so percent shooter. Um, so, you know, we can play that game, but it's it's kind of interesting to me to think that like the entire narrative changes if just five of those completely changes. And, and I think that's also a testament to what you're saying, where if he took more shots, then it wouldn't be as significant, right? Because the, the numbers wouldn't fluctuate nearly as much. Uh, and and the free throw form is is good. He's shooting eighty seven percent from the line, so it doesn't feel like there's anything structurally. Um, so it leads me to kind of like that really weak spot that's especially hurting his field goal percentage, which is in between three to ten feet. Uh, for context, he's shooting twenty two point two percent from there this season. Okay, he was thirty point three percent last year, and he was eighteen point two percent his rookie year. Um, so it's going to take time. Ideally, you see something like a floater. Uh, this is maybe a little lazy, but if you were, oh, I'd, no, I'd love like, that. Like the Tony Parker situation yeah. where he's able to yeah. work on his game that way and really just take that weakness and at least make it average. Then you see it reflected in the rest of his game. And then you're looking at someone who's maybe not a primary ball handler. Uh, but again, with like, with the, with those few threes that kind of like go in instead of rattle out, you're looking at a, at a very different conversation of a player. Um, so again, like it's probably going to happen over the summer, but uh, it'd be nice to see him. And he took a few of those shots against Indiana. Uh, so it'd be nice to see him just continue going for it because at this point, just a level of comfortability would be nice. Yes, um, I think that's well said. Um, all right, last two, Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson. Um, I actually don't have much to say on Mitch because um, I, I think the things that I want to see from him are not really up to him. I think they're more team dictated. I was going to say like, I'd love to see him get the ball in the short roll uh, or on a short roll a couple times because um, we we haven't really seen that much this year. Um, but again, he's not really given the ball in that spot that much with like an opportunity to actually do something. Um, but short of that, I like, yeah, like the obvious thing is like, sure, you want to see him foul less, but like that's, you know, that'll come in time. Um, I don't, and I think he's trying and I think he's made improvements in terms of like technique and whatnot. Um, I guess I, I'm, I'm in the minority on this and I love the guy I know, but like, I'm happy with what, like, I have a lot of complaints about Frank for as much as I love Frank, Frank kills me with how much he avoids the paint and how hesitant he is sometimes. And just like some other little things about his game, but like Mitch, I, I don't know. I've been really happy with what we've seen this year from him. What do you, what do you want to see him, um, improve or change over the last 26 games? So, I mean, there's. Possibility of setting better screens, uh, expanding his game so he's not just a lob threat. Even uh, you know, shooting threes is, I think, not realistic. At least, especially not this year. But yeah, I'm even working there. on some sort of right, like even some sort of face up game. I think Sean may have mentioned that. Yes, uh, yes, cut, yes, 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 cutting yes. down on fouls, as you said, 
there maybe creating his own shop, but that's a lot harder for him to do. We, we had that, what that one glorious, uh, layup that he had where he just like took it from the three point line and, and did it himself. That was nice to see. Oh, I loved it. Um, but I would say the one thing for me is for him to be a better passer. Uh, the biggest thing, so potential assist is really just one category. It, I don't think you should extrapolate on, on it, but with that being said, I'm probably going to do exactly that in just a moment. <laughs> so, uh, among a hundred cent, a hundred bigs last year, uh, Mitch was 89th in terms of potential assists per game. And this year he's 74th out of 98 and he's 73rd out of 97 since Fisdale was fired. Uh, Basically, the top 10 in terms of potential assists are, I mean, it should be no surprise who's number one. It's Nikola Jokic. Um, but then it's also Bam, Sabonis, Cat, for all the shit we give him, Randall, uh, Vooch, yeah. Horford, AD, Gasol, and then Bede. So seven Almost. of those guys, yeah, seven of those guys were all-stars in the last two years. Uh, eight of them play for winning teams. The only bigs that are earning $10 million or more a year and averaging two potential assists or less per game Miles Turner, Bismack Biombo, Dwayne Dedman. Uh, <laughs> I mean, De- Dedman's a backup once Capella's healthy. Yeah. Um, and while he's terrible this year in spacing the floor, he did very well in 2017. Or he was, he was at least average in 2017-18, maybe pretty good for a big. And then he was really good for one. Shot 38.2% from deep uh, last season. Biombo, I mean, is a backup who just got paid because of the 2016 yeah. splurge that teams oversaw uh, or just – didn't didn't have the the forethought in terms of the ramifications for later. And then there's Miles Turner, who is a fantastic defender. He and Mitch have been neck and neck in terms of blocks per game last I, year. I would argue so that Miles year, Turner is overrated, but that's just me. You could. But again, he also adds another dimension by shooting 36% from three yep. over the last four years. Huge, a massive, um, massive, massive, massive caveat. Yes. Totally. So when you take all of that into consideration, um, and again, this is also a conversation that I think we'll be having at a later point in time. Uh, but would you say that it's safe? It's, would you, would you agree? It's safe to say that Mitch is on track to earn more than $10 million a year moving forward. Um, uh, yes. And, um, if they, uh, not to sidetrack us, but like they could, they could actually sign him to a contract extension this summer. It's it maxes out at, uh, just above 10 million a year, which, Oh my God, uh, what I would give for him to sign, uh, that deal. Cause I think that would be a huge bargain, but yeah, he's on track for that. Right. So the concern I have is if we take all that into consideration and he's paid more than that, what kind of ramifications that has on the team moving forward in terms of sharing the ball? Um, so again, like I said, we'll, we'll probably get to that at a later point. Yeah. It's something to consider just because you don't have five guys who are willing to consistently share the ball with one another. And it doesn't mean to be too passive, obviously. Like you don't want to be in a situation like Frank where he isn't taking his own shot, where he's he's a little too pass happy sometimes. But if you're Mitch and really all you're doing is kind of rolling to the the rim or looking for lobs, it's that's a great asset. But then you have to think about moving forward, is that worth the the financial restrictions that then come with that once you pay him and it would just be very nice to see him improve in this category because it shows that he's looking to find other teammates it's a fantastic point it's a really really good point and um i i say that because i think they're especially with the rockets basically you know trading you know not basically with the rockets trading capella um it's more proof 
that unless you are like literally um, the best defensive center in the NBA and a guy like Rudy Gobert, or conversely, you're a guy like Miles Turner, who offers a lot on the defensive end and can stretch the floor um, on offense, in addition to being a role threat. If you're like, even if you're like the most elite role man in the league, which I don't know that we could say that about Mitch because this, you know, he needs to get a lot better at setting picks and like the, the timing isn't maybe quite where it needs to be yet. But like, let's, for argument's sake, let's say that. Let's say he grows into a top two or three role threat. If that's what he is, in addition to being, again, one of the, two or three best rim protectors in the league and a guy who could also switch out on the perimeter, even those three things, if he doesn't develop some kind of a playmaking aspect, I think you have an absolute point in like, is that something that you want to be spending what? $10 million a year on $12 million a year on $15 million a year. Like the numbers may start to get high, which is why I was having an interesting text conversation with Spencer the other day. And we were talking about, um, I'm going to screw up how to pronounce his name, but, um, oh, uh, oh God, I really should have this in front of me. The guy on USC, the 6'9 center, who's like a poor man's bam out of bio. Um, Okongwu, I want to say. Um, Onyeko Okongwu. Thank you. Wow. Someone's been practicing in front of the mirror at night. <laughs> Good for you. Um, like if the Knicks were in a position, like if the, if he fell and the Knicks were in a position to draft him, Spent, you know, I hope Spencer doesn't mind me saying this, but he's like, you know, he was like, you, you would have to trade Mitch. And like, there's a part of me that like that just seethes my soul to the thought of trading this guy. Um, but like, yeah, I don't you know. You make a good point. At least makes you think about it. Mitchell Robinson, by the way, bargain on projection strike right now, a dollar 16 a share. I think this might be the lowest he's been all year um, or close to the lowest he's been all year. Get get in on that, folks. If you're not on prediction strike yet, what are you doing? Um, I think you're going to see a similar late season surge from him, um, whether we see the short roll or uh, the assist go- numbers go up or, or otherwise. Um, yeah, and, and just one more thing. I yes. mean, obviously, one of the players who was left off of that top 10 was Rudy Gobert. Yes. Who is in my, I mean. Who I was referencing a minute ago. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so the thing about Gobert is he's just so. So incredibly talented on defense that he's you, a game changing. It's like he changes everything the opposing offense has to do. Yeah, exactly. And, and Mitch that's is not, simply not Mitch. No, and no, I no, don't. No, no. I and I have reservations on that becoming Mitch. Um, and so, and also, of course, you could say like with Utah that it's a small market; they have to overpay their own players. I, I understand that, but um, it's really like okay. Well, at least Gobert is able to compensate for the fact that he's not a great passer by doing so so much good on one side of the ball. And then being a fantastic threat on the other side uh, that he's able to overcompensate. Yeah. For or he's able to compensate. And I just I, – I, I, at a certain point, we just have to wonder no, you don't need how to much couch potential gets realized. Yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's – yeah. listen. Right. I'll I, leave it. I'll leave you're, it. You're, you're couching it and you don't need to because the point – like if you I, – I know this hurts to hear. It hurts me to even talk about the idea that like, oh my god, maybe this guy's ceiling is not – what we what we want it to be well he need it can be where what we want it to be but he and here's but here's the nice part he has the ability to be the type of player that i think you're talking about that would deserve that type of money right because like we he can pass we've seen him make some nice passes already 
We've seen him do some things with the ball in his hands. It's not like he can't. We just need to we need to see it. And who knows? Maybe we see it over the last 26 games. Um, all right. It is after 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Um, that means we're going to give Kevin Knox the, the short, short staff. The short staff? Is that is that a thing? The short stick? The short straw? The, sha- the shaft and the short straw. How about that? Um, Thank you. Here's what I want to see from Kevin Knox. Look like an NBA player on offense again. <laughs> um, you did it for you did it for a while last season. I I know because I saw it. I witnessed it with my own two eyes. He was an NBA player. He was an actually like, oh wow, this guy is a real guy on offense. He was a, the NBA rookie of the month for the Eastern Conference. Like I know it wasn't exactly a crowded field at the time, but like you don't get that award unless you do some stuff. And he was doing stuff. And he's so in his own head right now. Um, and he's just, he's not, it's not happening for him on offense. And, um, you know, this gets into other issues about how do you develop players as an organization and like what goes into that besides just like the drills you do. Um, but yeah, that's what I want to see from Kevin Knox. Look like a, look like an NBA offensive player. Yeah. My note for the, like the subject for Kevin Knox was, uh, all around game and then parentheses everything question mark. Um, <laughs> You're so bad. So basically, I, like I didn't really know where to start. So I looked at the recent article that the Post had about Knox talking with Mike Miller. Yeah. And two of the things that Mike Miller talked about uh, def- the deflections really and rebounding percentage. So I just took a look at those. Um, he's tied for like I want to say 380th out of 508 total players for deflections is that not good and that is not very good um and for rebounding percentage he's tied for 286th with uh once a nick always a nick luke Cornette. he's really an average defensive rebound rebounder um this season at least and his offensive is just flat out abysmal and for a guy who's like what six nine like you'd hope for a little bit more than that, obviously. No, he's not. He's not. A, he's. I mean, this is not his game. It's called like yeah. it is. He's lost. Um, yeah. You know, well, like if you just focus on those two aspects, like it's something. It's like you're building on something. Um, again, like I, I also have my suspicions that, like Dennis Junior, Kevin Knox is not here next year. I'm still very eager to see what Leon Rose has to say in his presser because I think uh, usually a lot of these guys give give things away like for example when phil jackson spoke i like i just walked away like i feel like he's gonna trade robin lopez <laughs> uh and then and then he did although he didn't he hadn't signed robin lopez at that point um but it just little things like that where you can you can kind of pick up these clues and, and follow the breadcrumbs and so uh, i'm really eager to hear what rose has to say because two of the five players we listed i really i really wonder if they're even Knicks next year um i bet you kevin knox is a nick next year um and i just, yeah, I think he's still a Nick, and I think I I don't think we've heard the last of Kevin Knox. I think this is as bad as he could possibly look, um, because he's again he's in his own head. Um, I I would I would be less confident if we hadn't already seen him do a lot of different stuff. Like, not great. He's never been a good player, but he did stuff at a at a level that made you go like, wow, this guy's going to be something someday. And then he's obviously regressed from that. That's why like all the people who like, you're like, he sucks. He's garbage. He's like, just, he's, he's never going to be anything like that's I, I, we've seen him be something already. Um, 
So, yeah, I'd like to see that again. And on that note, um, Jeremy, as usual, we've talked for far too long. Anything else you want to say before we get the hell out of here? No, I think I think we've uh, uh, maybe just like I've really enjoyed seeing the Clippers lose games. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I, was, I was looking at the standings earlier today. You know, I swear to God, I'm like, wow, they're like a game and a half out of like what would be the 22nd pick of the draft. That's awesome. Yeah, like my my thoughts are you can root for Marcus Morris on the Clippers as much as you want, but just do it in the playoffs because as of right now, I mean they're they're really just like a very very small losing streak away from winding up with the 22nd pick and I mean that would be music to my ears and I'm sure every other fan, so it just just uh it's, it's them and also the Hornets like Seeing them fall, it's it's really nice to see, but not far, well, not too far. Well, wait if a the minute. Hornets fall too far, yes, then that's a problem. Yeah, so it's no. like, let's. It's like I was rooting for them to lose against the Nets because I was like, oh, well, they're playing the Knicks soon, so I want them to win that game. So it's like it's it's a very fine line where it's like, what games do I want them to win and lose? Listen, so, uh, man, the the jockeying, the jockeying has begun because yeah, Carl Anthony Towns is now out for what did they report the next two weeks? Should I would have thought helped the Wolves or at least helped them moving forward. <laughs> That's so bad. Whatever. He's out. The Cavs, I mean, God bless the Cavs. Um, the, I mean, Curry is coming back and the Warriors, the, the Hawks are going to try. The Pistons, I mean, got like, talk about a team that would not mind not winning a game in the rest of this year. Ditto for the Hornets. The Bulls, I think, actually won tonight. Um, and that was a good win for against the Wizards. Good, yeah, they beat the Wizards. We and, needed that. After uh, I think they snapped a long losing streak, so like I, I think let me just say, I think there's gonna be some jockeying going on for these yeah. these spots. Which again, this hey, listen, go figure. This might be the draft you don't want the first or second pick, um, based on like the money and like I I know that sounds crazy, but you know there are there are people who actually would like rather have something lower than like one of the top picks. All right, uh, we'll talk about that some other time. Jeremy, as always, thank you for giving so much of yourself to uh, all of the all of the faithful listeners out there, and to me, um, who you know that really it does mean the it it means the world. What can I say? Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. <laughs> and everybody out there, um, you know the drill. Uh, thank you for listening. It is a pleasure as always. Um, if you're not already signed up for it. Sign up for the Knicks Film School newsletter. It is free. It comes to your inbox every single day of the week. Not the weekend, just the weekdays. And um, anything else? No? I think that's it. All right. Um, talk to you soon. Have a good week. Yeah.